Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. Good morning. It is so good to be with you. And today we are going to tackle a difficult topic. Uh, If you remember some time ago, uh, around Easter, the, the pastors asked the congregation, what would you like to hear? What messages uh, are, are on your heart that you would like us to speak on? And so you gave us uh, your answers, and we looked at those, we prayed over them, and we began to see a theme. Questions like, why is there tragedy? Why do innocent people get hurt? Why do bad things happen? And so it seemed appropriate to start a sermon series on this day of remembrance particularly particularly when we all asked a lot of questions and asked, why, God, why, why does this happen? Why do bad things happen to good people, to innocent people, to people who don't deserve these things to happen? And it is a question that has arisen in almost all faith traditions for many thousands of years. And the questions arise when our faith, the things that we believe about God, is challenged by things that we see every day because we see tragedy and we see pain and we see and we feel suffering. We see injustice and we feel angry about the pain that we see and can't do anything about. We feel powerless. We might even feel a sense of despair. But we are not alone in this because everyone asks these questions and they have for millennia. And the most frustrating part is that there are no good answers because we will always work with an incomplete data set. We are mortals trying to understand the mind of the divine. We are finite creatures trying to understand the infinite. And we are mortal trying to understand a a force that's immortal. We just don't have the data to know the mind of God. And there are risks in wrestling with these questions because we can develop a bad or an illogical theology. And what's worse, we can make the pain to the sufferer even worse by trying to either demean or diminish their suffering or trying to explain it away logically. And sometimes in trying to help, we talk too much. And we just need to be quiet and be there present in the suffering. And if I do either of these things today, I beg your forgiveness because that is not the intention. However, we shouldn't be afraid to wrestle with difficult questions. I think that is when the Holy Spirit comes to play. And I think that is God enjoys the conversation. Even if we may never find out the answers, I think the exercise is worthwhile because it can maybe help us think a little more clearly about God and maybe a little more clearly about ourselves. And we may never solve the mystery of this great question, 
but maybe we can find some clues that can keep us from being overwhelmed by the problem. The question we most often wrestle with is this. If God is all good and all powerful, then why do these bad things happen? And so I think it's useful to break down the question a little bit and maybe look at some definitions. Because when we talk about a God that is all good, sometimes what we do is confuse goodness with kindness. And there is a difference there. The difference between goodness and kindness is that the goal of kindness is to make everyone happy. And goodness is willing to allow some discomfort in order to make someone better. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, likens it to the difference between parents and grandparents. Parents want to make a good person. Parents realize that they have 18 years to form a human being that will contribute to society, that will be a good person themselves. And he says often, when we desire what we call a good God, what we really want is a kindly grandparent that is going to make us happy all the time. Now, when I was a boy, I had an allowance. My parents gave me an allowance with, with the intent of teaching me about the value of money and the value of working towards money, and if I wanted to buy something, the value of working towards a goal. And that they didn't just give me money, I had to mow the yard, which I hated to do because it involved weed eating, which I also hate to do. I had to finish my homework. I had to maintain my grades in school and do other chores as requested by parents. And for this, I would receive an allowance and I could save up and purchase whatever I wanted to. Fast forward about 30 years, when grandchildren come to visit my mother particularly, and the bank of Grandma is wide open. <laughs> In one case, my youngest son, Jonathan, just came right out, right out and said, Granny, I could use a little money. And she said, well, how much do you need? And he said, well, $20 would be a good start. And she peels off the bills. This is not the same woman who raised me. She's being kind. She wants my grandchildren or my children to be happy. And in another example, one that the people behind me are, are probably familiar with, a kind choir director would just let them sing whatever and say, that's fine, you're wonderful people. I want you to be happy all the time. <laughs> a good choir director makes them uncomfortable by making them sing words that sound funny and troubling them with how they sing vowels and how they sit, how they stand and make them do silly exercises that they hate to do. But the intention is not to make them happy. The intention is to make them a good choir. And there's a perspective of time here as well. Most grandparents know that they have a limited amount of time with grandchildren and so they want to pour all of the kindness and goodness that they can into that short amount of time. Likewise, the good choir director is thinking beyond a, son, a song on any particular Sunday. The good choir director is thinking, what will make this choir good a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? 
what will make this a good music ministry? And in so building that, there's some discomfort involved. But there is a perspective of time. And God has a perspective of time that we cannot possibly comprehend. And sometimes good things and bad things fall into that perspective in a way that we just can't see when we are in the middle of suffering. You may have heard this story. I read it as a Chinese parable. There was a farmer who had a magnificent stallion. It was a fantastic horse. And one day, the stallion broke free and ran away. And so the neighbor of the farmer was trying to be sympathetic and said, this is such terrible fortune for you, I'm so sorry. And the farmer said, is it bad fortune or good fortune? Who can tell? And sure enough, the horse came back on its own. Not only did the horse come back, but it brought with it some wild horses so that the, the livestock of the farmer was increased, his wealth was increased. And the neighbor came over and said, this is wonderful, congratulations on your great fortune. And the farmer said, is it good fortune? Is it bad fortune? Who can tell? And as it happened, the farmer had a son who, who took one of these wild horses and attempted to break it to make it more uh, useful on the farm. And the son was thrown off the horse and badly injured. And the neighbor said, I'm so sorry for your terrible fortune. And the farmer says, bad fortune, good fortune, who can tell? As it turned out, the emperor of the country went to war. And it was a difficult battle. And so he conscripted all the young men of military age. And so when the, the conscription officers came to the farmer's home, of course his son had been badly injured and was passed by for this terrible war. Good fortune, bad fortune, who can say? We don't have the perspective that God has. Now at this point, I have to say, we're having an academic discussion. This is exactly the thing that we do not want to say for, to someone who is in the middle of suffering. We don't want to explain away, oh, this will be good someday. You know, it would be cruel to say to a Holocaust survivor, thank you for all that you did because now the global community has an awareness of genocidal tendencies and we can take action before it reaches the suffering that you had. That would be cruel. That would be cruelly dismissive of something that was horrific. And the other part of this question that, that we have to look at is the God is all powerful part because we believe that and we proclaim that. But all powerful sometimes can get confused. There is nothing that God can't do. But there are things that God won't do because to do them would be a contradiction. Now, our scripture for today is a little bit of an odd one. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, the first five verses. At that very time, there were some present who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish 
just as they did. Now, I admit I'm doing something that is not good to do. I'm cherry-picking Scripture because I am cherry-picking one small segment from a larger dialogue that Jesus was having about the need to stay alert and to stay awake because a time of judgment may be coming when you don't expect it. But I found it interesting that Jesus mentions in this passage two of the main causes of what we call bad things. One was caused by Pilate, who apparently executed some people in the middle of a religious service. A horrible thing to do. But Pilate had the free will to make that choice. And so many of what we call bad things happen because people abuse their free will. Human free will is God's gracious gift, but some direct their free will inward. That's where a lust for power comes from. That's where greed comes from. That's where the desire comes from to be our own gods. We are all guilty of it from time to time. And it has been around since the third chapter of Genesis. And no one knows the tragic results of misdirected free will more than Jesus Christ himself. At every point in the passion story, the characters in the story had choices to make. God didn't force Judas to betray God didn't force Pilate to condemn, and God didn't force Peter to deny. They all made those choices out of their free human will. Only one used God's gift of free will appropriately, and he was the one who was unfairly crucified. Based on the evidence that we have in Scripture, and our own experience even, it is clear that God values our free will so highly that God will watch us hurt ourselves in order to protect it. And no matter how much we might desire it, God will not supersede our free will, even in humans who intend to do us harm. Although we might wish that a violent attacker's knife might suddenly and miraculously turn into foam rubber, God won't do that because that would violate the attacker's free will. And why is there such a value on human free will? It's because God wants a relationship with creatures who choose to love and obey, who, who want to love out of their free choice. That's the only way a loving relationship can work. A relationship that's based on compulsion or slavery or, or just complete mastery by a higher level of consciousness can never be a relationship that is based on love. God desires creatures that love him freely. Now, the other thing that was mentioned in Scripture is this Tower of Siloam, and we don't know the details of it, but it does seem that some people were caught in a collapse of a tower. Whether it was bad mortar a poor design, or just people who were in the wrong place at the wrong time. This tower fell and crushed many people. And when we talk about an all-powerful God, we are talking about power that is manifested in nature and manifested in a world and a universe that is governed by natural laws. The natural force of gravity is, is the force that holds earth 
in a perfect orbit around the sun for life itself to even exist. Gravity is what holds our cells together. It's what keeps our feet on the ground. But if we lose our, va- our balance, gravity will still pull us down and can harm us. Our existence is governed by things such as gravity and inertia, centrifugal force, chemical reactions. It's all natural. And sometimes when frail, fragile, mortal bodies come in contact with these forces, tragedy happens. I don't know why God doesn't suspend natural laws, except that the arc of God's creative activity seems to trend from chaos to order. And in a world where natural law can be set aside at any time, that's a universe in which there are no laws at all, and such would be chaos. Now, there's another factor that we have to think about when we consider this question, and that is the idea of randomness. Our experience seems to show us that that in this world, there is an element of randomness that is completely inexplicable. And it's the most disturbing idea because it, it seems to indicate that maybe God isn't fully in control of every single thing that happens And maybe as a result of human sin, misuse of free will, and the combination of natural forces, there's just a degree of randomness that is built into our universe. The worker who set his alarm early on September 11th, caught the train on time, got on the right bus, was at his desk extra early, doing everything right only to be caught in the World Trade Center when a plane hit it. Likewise, another worker woke up with a sore throat. It wasn't too bad, but, but he didn't want to make other people sick, so on that day, he'll just take a sick day and stay home. Does God love the one person more than the other person? That's not a theology that will stand scrutiny. That doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't seem fair to even our human eyes. So it seems unlikely that God would make choices. Maybe there is just randomness built into our universe. But that doesn't mean that God isn't present. God works redemptively in all situations, in all coincidences, in all random occurrences. And God will work tirelessly to bring good from evil, to bring light out of darkness and healing out of tragedy. I'm going to do something a little unusual. I'm going to step away from the pulpit because too often I think the pulpit is a symbol of authority and that the people who stand in the pulpit somehow know more than everybody else and can speak as experts. And I can tell you that is not the case today. I don't know why bad things happen. I maybe have some clues. I maybe have read some books. I maybe have wrestled with the question myself, but I don't have any answers. I don't know why it happens. But there are a few things that I do know. I know your stories. I've been blessed to have been appointed here as a pastor for seven years. I've been deeply blessed to be a music director and to work with these wonderful people and to work with the music ministries here for almost 15 years. 
My family and I have been a, a part of this church as members or as pastors for almost 20. And I know your stories. I know some of you have suffered and struggled and are suffering and struggling right now. You have experienced things that haunt my nightmares. You've lost spouses, you've lost parents, you've lost children. You've lost health. I've been with you in hospitals. I've been with you in funeral homes. And I feel the same powerlessness that you do. But I also know this. You're here. Every week, week in, week out, you are here. You have found some thread of faith to hold on to. And you have woven that thread into a bandage for your heart. You have taken that thread and created, I don't know, a rope ladder from which you can climb out of the abyss. You are here. I've been so blessed in my life. I have not experienced a great degree of suffering or pain. But I'm not foolish enough to think that that will always be the case. At some point, I will experience it myself. And I will look to you as my heroes because you have experienced things that have been so unfair and yet you take a step and another step and you walk through these doors and you're here. You're my heroes and my inspiration. And maybe there's a clue in that. Maybe bad things happen. I don't believe for a second that God causes them. I don't believe for any second that God is in front of a large whiteboard planning out everything and says, you know what? To make the world work perfectly, I'm going to make sure that this child stands at that street corner when that rifleman begins firing. I don't believe that God says, this world would be perfect if only that person receives a cancer diagnosis. I don't think God works that way. I think God works redemptively. I think God works in those situations to bring us all closer together and to teach us things. And again, I don't want to run the risk of dismissing pain and suffering. But maybe, just maybe, maybe it happens so that we can all be a little better. Maybe we can learn compassion and sympathy because we see friends experiencing it. Maybe, maybe we can get a richer vision of heaven because we catch glimpses of hell. Maybe we can catch a vision of the depth of God's grace because we see such a need for it in this world and in ourselves. And maybe we're just all a little better because we lift each other up in those times. I wish I knew the answer, but I don't. All I can do is hope that maybe there's some clues that make us better and make us a better and stronger church. Let's pray. God, this is hard stuff. And we wish we knew the answers, but we don't. All we can pray is that your grace descend on us all. That somehow in, in all of this that you are working redemptively and you make us better disciples and you fill us with your spirit and show us ways that we can bring relief to a world that is suffering and to friends that are suffering. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.